0: Last week uh, I was not here. My wife and I were in Arizona together, and I worked really hard as we were really hard as we were driving home from Arizona not to send a text message like right at eleven thirty to ask how church went. I was watching the clock and it was 11:30 and I thought, no, if I send a text at 11:30 to ask how church was, it'll sound so needy and it'll sound like I was watching the clock waiting to send a text message. So I sat there and I watched it till 12 to make it look like I didn't care what happened last week. And then at 12 o'clock I started sending out some text messages and it I mean it sounds like you guys had an amazing time last week, and so thanks for the people that testified and shared. Um, sounds like you guys really enjoyed the presence of God together. And I kept getting these texts, you know, and they were like, oh man, it was so great. I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was about church. And I'm starting to feel like it was my absence. <laughs> because every time I'm, go- I'm gone, um, God shows up. And it's a little bit starting to get a little bit concerning to me. <laughs> Secretly, you're hoping when you send that text out that everybody's going to respond by saying, We missed you, man. It just wasn't the same. Like, things didn't go so well. And uh, that's not the response that I got. So while we're here for the next 17 weeks, we're going to spend those 17 weeks in the four chapters of Jonah. Jonah. And Jonah, everybody loves Jonah. Kids love Jonah. There's a little bit of fascination even for us adults surrounding Jonah. Even people, outsiders, who don't have a lot of knowledge about our scriptures, know the story, Know enough about the story of Jonah to laugh at it. And I feel like... Um, I want to start by saying I believe that the story of Jonah needs to be rescued. The story of Jonah needs to be rescued. I think, depending on what decade you were born, as we read the book of Jonah and go through the book of Jonah, you know, it uh, reminds us of stories like Moby Dick, um, Pinocchio. My dad always tells me about how he saw Pinocchio when he was how old, Dad. And he still has nightmares about the donkey scene. <laughs> <laughs> or if you're probably in your 20s or if you're here in one of the kids' rooms, you know, Veggie Tales hasn't done us any favors either, I don't think. Um... But well, what I love about Jonah and what I'm finding out is that um, story incites story. Have you ever noticed that? I sat around with my good friends at a wedding a couple weekends ago. And of course, as the wedding went on, you know, we went ahead and made our way down memory lane. And it starts by one person telling a story. And then someone else chimes in, Oh, I got a story. I got a story. And then two, three hours later, we're still exchanging stories because story incites story. And there's some amazing... There's an amazing story of the life of Jonah. He was a real prophet who prophesied to actual people. He was an actual prophet who prophesied to actual people, and I'm finding as I read the Book of Jonah personally, I feel really excited to preach through this. And this morning's just going to be a little bit of an intro. I'm going to kind of navigate and show you where we're headed inside the Book of Jonah, um, but th- but this has become really personal to me there's certain ways in which the book of Jonah is being rescued. And it's no longer a child's story, but it's actually my story. And the book of Jonah has, us a lot, has really a lot to teach us about who God is and a lot to teach us about who we are. It has a lot to teach us about God, and it has a lot to teach us about ourselves. And as I read the story, um, I'm seeing myself in there. One of the things that happens from the beginning, just to give you a glimpse of what's going on for me personally, is we've done a lot of talking this morning about the presence of God and how we love the presence of God. And after we enjoyed a time of worship, Jr. said, isn't that great? We we're in the presence of God uh, together here at Rotary Theater. And I do love the presence of God. But the truth is about myself is what I'm finding is what was true of Jonah is true of me and that sometimes I flee the presence of God. I actually don't want to be in the presence of God. And even though my mouth typically is saying like, let's enjoy the presence of God, everything inside of me is wanting to run. And I think that I want to run because the truth is, is that you can't cultivate pride and you can't cultivate power in the presence of God. Those things don't stand in His presence. So I don't want to be in that place. I'm starting to find out as I read the book of Jonah that there are Nineveh's in my own life. You know, if you don't know the story, Jonah, the prophet... We're actually just going to read the whole book this morning. Um, Jonah, as a prophet, is called to Nineveh. And instead of ignoring what God said, he actually goes in a different direction. Which I think is really powerful. Because I think often we don't actually ignore God, we actually do something else to make it look like we're responding to God, but we're actually heading in a different direction. And so the story story of the life of Jonah is reminding me and teaching me about myself and teaching me about the God that I'm wanting to love and, and follow. So, the first thing that I want to say is that um, the book of Jonah is not an allegory. And an allegory uses fictional characters to symbolize some other reality. People who believe that the story of Jonah is an allegory think that um, Jonah actually represents Israel. And that Jonah represents Israel's refusal to carry out God's mission to the nations. The only problem with this is that Jonah is clearly presented in Scripture as an actual prophet and as an actual person. We find him in the book of Kings prophesying. Some people think that Jonah is just a parable. And again, a parable would be based on fictional characters. Parables are a little bit different because they're typically simple tales that make a single point. And the book of Jonah is pretty complex and it teaches multiple themes. Jonah, the book of Jonah has all the makings of a prophetic narrative. Just like the ones we read about Elijah and Elisha. It starts by saying, and the word of God, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Which is the same way that these other prophetic narratives start. The book of Jonah is historical. It is history. But what's different about Jonah is it's not history for history's sake. It's clearly trying to teach us some things. And I think as I was looking at the different interpretations of how Jonah is read and how people understand Jonah, the one thing I kept thinking about is like, how did Jesus treat the book of Jonah? Because we know he's the ultimate authority. How did Jesus treat this book? And Jesus treated the book of Jonah as authoritative. Jesus treated the book of Jonah as divine revelation from God. He used elements of the story and analogies for other historical events. In Matthew 12, Jesus declares that men of Nineveh will rise up with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. The story of Jonah is told to teach us lessons. And just personally, as I've been wrestling through it for the last couple months, it's been doing that for me. So I want to establish that. We'll talk more about that as we go along. You know, because there are some things that... You know, questions. Can you really be swallowed by a whale? Can you really live inside the belly of a whale? And so we'll talk about not only what we read in Jonah, but what we're to do when we read about supernatural things in Scripture. Because if you're a Christian here, you've got bigger problems than a man being swallowed by a whale. You actually believe in a God who spoke the earth into existence. There's other problems here for you. If you have a hard time getting your head around the story of Jonah, you're going to have a hard time getting your head around this whole book. Because there's more to it than that. The book of Jonah, it's designed to reflect on God's compassion and really to compare our hearts to His. The book of Jonah, I think, has effectively done this for just really thousands of years. It's really taught us about who God is. His heart for the nations. His heart of compassion. His heart of mercy. The book of Jonah for thousands of years has taught us about His grace and the way that we run from it. The book of Jonah for thousands of years has taught us that we're fugitives. Constantly running. And that your job isn't necessarily to find God. Your job is to stop running. And it's actually pretty humorous because I, 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 I think it's actually funny. I'll watch like cops, and I don't know why people getting arrested is funny. Um, but, but you know the scene where the guy's running, you know? And there's like four helicopters that have spotlighted him, but he's still running, like I'm going to get away. And the squad cars have surrounded him. He's still running, like I got this thing. I'm not going to get caught. And you're just laughing at this guy. You know, it's just humorous. And the truth is, is that it's funny the way that Jonah runs from God. It implies... um, (laughs) There's more than just that that's funny about it. I know we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but Jonah never gets it right. This book doesn't climax with Jonah getting it right. He misses on both sides. He misses in rash disobedience, and I'm going to say you miss it in rash disobedience. And then he misses it in heartless obedience. He finally does it, but he's like... Repent, you know, yeah. delivers this uh, eight-word sermon to Nineveh. The nation, you know, the city repents. And then Jonah's frustrated because he was hoping God would send destruction. But really, it compares, you know, I mean, it's just, it teaches us, it really does teach us about God's heart of compassion. And, and how, our, how our hearts measure up to that. One of the things that drew me to Jonah is that it's the only, really, one of the only prophetic books that focuses on the messenger and not the message. The focus of Jonah is on the messenger and not the message. And I think that this is really pivotal, not just for our church, but for the church. Because I think so often we actually have the message right, but what's wrong is the messenger. And we need to understand that in some ways, the message is the medium. Jesus didn't just know truth. He was the truth. For Him, knowing truth and being true were inseparable. And I think sometimes as a church, we're still giving the right message to the world. We've still got the content right. And I don't necessarily think that God really wants to work on the message here. The message is pretty clear. Or at least the plain things. What God's wanting to do is work on the messenger. Here's a couple ways that God's been doing this in my own life. And I'm, I'm really excited to talk about these things. It starts with this uh, sentence, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah. I don't know how many conversations I've been in with people where, where we're talking and I'll say something like, well, you just got to hear the Lord. And they just look at me like, you just got to explain that. It's just become a part of our vocabulary. Well, the Lord said, you know, how? What does that sound like? What's it like to, to hear the voice of God? I don't know if you've ever done this, but um, sometimes it can be really difficult to explain what it's like to hear the voice of God. Just like I know when Jared Turner phones, when he says hello, I know it's Jared. But if you asked me to explain or describe Jared's voice, I would really have a hard time describing it to you in a way where you'd go, you're right, that is Jared's voice. And the truth of it is is that we know more than we can tell. And it's really hard to be like, well, Jared's voice is a male voice. Um, It comes through a mustache, so it's been filtered. He's most likely going to say he loves you. That's what Jared does. He's good at loving people. I don't know, you know, you're just at a loss for words. And I think so often when we start talking about describing the voice of God, it's one, both scary sometimes, because we know what people have done with messages from above. And, uh, and it's really just difficult. And so I'm excited for myself to look at in Scripture how God speaks to people. And how we can be a people that hear His voice. How we can be the sheep that hear His voice and respond. Because I want to assert today that you were created to hear God's voice. And I'll stand up here as one who typically stands up here and says, I heard the Lord. (laughs) And say, sometimes I'm just saying that. I have a sense. But I didn't hear some clear, audible voice. I was with uh, coffee with Nick Hernandez, and I think his assumption was that I actually that God spoke to me in a clear, audible voice. You know, it's like, well, no, it wasn't that. Well, what was it? Oh, I don't know, like a gut feeling. And he's like, well, <laughs> I've got other gut feelings too. How do you know that that's a God gut feeling, you know, and not just a gut feeling? I, I don't. I I guess I'm working that out. And so I'm excited together as a church to learn to hear God's voice. And not just hear His voice, because obviously Jonah heard His voice, but to respond to His voice. Because it's not enough just to hear His voice. And you'll actually stop hearing His voice if you don't respond to His voice. I touched on this earlier, but I'm really excited to explore this idea of hiding from the presence of God. And running. I'm excited to talk about where you run, I'm excited to talk about how you run, I'm excited to talk about the shoes that you wear, when you run, and I'm excited to talk about God's grace, which stops us in our tracks, and I'm excited to talk about the way that He finds us. But a really crucial part of being found by God is figuring out that you're running and stop. Jonah prays this fantastic prayer from the belly of the whale, and he says, Salvation comes from the Lord. And lately, I've been seeing my sin as an ongoing attempt to save myself. And it is pretty difficult to trust the Lord for salvation. I've even been in conversations where, they say, where someone will say to me, well, I'm just an analytical person. I'm just an analytical person. I'm just judgmental. And I think to myself, no, you're actually just trying to save yourself by figuring something out and distancing yourself from it. You don't want to engage it. You want to report on it. You're not just an intellectual person. You're just trying to save your own rear. Isn't that why we judge? Isn't that why we distance ourselves from people? Isn't that why we try to sum people up? Just an attempt to protect ourselves from hurt, protect ourselves from pain, and save ourselves. I've been saving myself at Espy's with a ranch hand on a weekly basis. They make a hamburger with bacon and cheese. And on days when I don't feel like showing up to work, I go to Espies and I save myself in a ranch hand. There are all these different ways. And Joel laughs because he goes to Espies too to save himself. <laughs> I'm interested in talking about trusting the Lord for salvation and how you attempt to save yourself. How you attempt to save face. How being comfortable and being right is more important than following Jesus. Because again, you need to save yourself and you're not trusting the Lord for salvation. And at times, neither am I. The other topic that I'm super excited to explore just personally uh, is this one of anger. Jonah just gets ticked. In fact, he says to God, I'm so angry I could die. That's how angry I am. And as I read that, those words, I found myself in, in conversation with Eric and was talking about, man, I'm angry. If I were really honest with myself, which I'm not typically, I'm really ticked. And I think in so many ways, we don't understand anger. We don't understand anger. It's one of our seven deadly sins. We've seen it be destructive, but can it be constructive? We've seen it be hurtful, so we avoid it, suppress it. But can it be helpful? And I'm kind of interested in coming to a greater understanding of God's anger. Why He gets angry, and then what He does with His anger. And I'm kind of excited together to explore why you get angry, and what you do with your anger. There's some other things that we're going to talk about. I uh, gets caught in a storm, so we're going to talk about escaping storms. We're going to talk about God's heart for the city and I'm excited that we're going to do it from one of our high school campuses. Um, That's exciting to me. We're going to talk about God's mercy and His justice. We're going to talk about God's love and His compassion and His anger. How can those things go together? We're going to talk a lot about Jonah and uh, some of the fun things that he does, some of the ways that he runs. And, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm really excited about going through this book. And so, just really simply, I kind of just wanted to share that this morning. And then I kind of wanted to make some requests of you. Because we are going to, this summer, uh, we're going to, this summer, defy the odds. Because the church calendar and statistics suggest that we're not going to grow during the summer. That our church won't grow numerically, and that our church won't grow spiritually, and that our church won't grow financially. Because everyone during the summer goes on vacation. Whether they're on vacation or not, even when you're here sitting in these seats, some part of you is checked out. And we think that these next three, four months are just a break. And then we'll really get back into it come September. And so everyone's telling me that this is the way the church year operates. And the church calendar says this. That you shouldn't be asking people to engage anything during the summer. Because there's um, an attitude that comes with summer. And I want to ask you this morning to defy the odds and engage your relationship with God this summer. This has nothing to do with attendance here at this church. This has to do with you engaging your relationship with God. I'm going to ask that you not go on summer vacation with Him, but that you press in and learn to hear His voice. I'm going to ask that you not run away to some far-off destination, destination like uh, Jonah did when he ran to Tarshish. But that you go where he calls you to go this summer. I'm going to ask that you come. Come regularly. There's amazing opportunities to serve. I was so blessed walking in here. Just to see uh, the life and the love... Um, being poured into our time together. Thanks for everyone who's serving, um, setting up and serving the kids. It's just beautiful. And I'm going to ask you to continue to engage. Not just serving here at the church, but serving at the church as a means to engage your relationship with God because He's called you to serve. What I'd like to do to conclude our time is a a bit uh, Andy Kaufman-esque. And I just want to read the entire book of Jonah. I don't know if you've ever uh, seen that, where Andy Kaufman, he was a comedian, and he was asked to do his stand-up routine. I think it was at a college. Is it correct? And instead of doing his stand-up routine, he read Catcher in the Rye from start to finish. Everyone just started leaving, you know. Read the entire book. If you've got a Bible, open it to Jonah. You know, one last thing just from uh, that's been resounding in me since we joined together for some pre service prayer um, is that uh, Jonah, it says that he's the son of Amittai, which means that he's the son of faithfulness, he's the son of faithful love. And as I've been thinking about myself, and thinking about how similar I am to Jonah, I was also thinking that I too am the son of a faithful love. That God has been faithful in His love towards me. And I just want to say to you uh, this morning, and even as we talk about ourselves and about who God is, um, that He's faithful to you. And we are together the sons and daughters of a faithful God. And I was overwhelmed with that this morning. Maybe it was because we were moving again. Maybe it was because as a church, um, in some ways we have defied the odds already. So I'm not scared that we will do it again this summer. Two out of ten church plants survived the first two years. And we've faithfully stuck together. And you've faithfully given of your time. You've given of your treasure. You've given of your talent. And I, just, I guess I was just really overwhelmed with that. And, um, and more than being overwhelmed with the faithfulness of the people here, I was overwhelmed with God's faithful love towards us that even when we're faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. We're going to do a couple things, just because I don't trust you in those comfortable seats. What I'd like to do is receive an offering this morning. And so as we read the book of Jonah, the urn, which we will not let go of, even though we let go of the other building. We will not let go of the urn that receives the offering. (laughs) We'll probably let go of it next week, to be honest with you. We just forgot to this week. So I want to invite you to give towards what God's doing here at Radiant Church. And what we're going to do together as we read the Word and as the offering comes around is we're going to stand to read it. I think it will probably take us about 10 minutes to get through the book of Jonah. And so just to let you know, um, you'll be standing for 10 minutes. (laughs) The other thing that I want to say is I think that, um, and obviously we know this, but the people of God have had a habit of standing when they heard the Word of the Lord. The book of Jonah is a divine revelation to us. It has much to tell us, much to teach us. And so I want to stand together just to honor the word of the Lord to us, the divine revelation to us. And uh, I also think that, you know, um, we stand in a way to uh, recognize. And we stand in a way to recognize beauty. I think that's why we stand when the bride comes down the aisle is it's just um, more than it's a recognition of her status. It's a recognition of her beauty. And uh, the story that God's given us in Jonah is, is beautiful. And so let's stand together. I just want to stand here oh. and say that I'm both excited and I'm scared. I both want you and then sometimes I don't. I both want your presence and then sometimes I want to run from your presence. And we praise you, Jesus, because you've been so faithful to us. You've been so faithful to this church. And we give as a response to your faithfulness towards us. In Jesus' name, amen. Should you guys start this guy? Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you've pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men gratefully feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to Him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and He answered me, From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All of your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me seaweed was wrapped around my head to the roots of the mountains I sank down the earth beneath barred me in forever but you brought my life up from the pit O Lord my God when my life was ebbing away I remembered you Lord and my prayer rose to you to your holy temple those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs but I with a song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you I have vowed, I will, what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose to his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he ensued a proclamation to Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction He had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee from Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter. Sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. (laughs) But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And he wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have any right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you uh, for this journey through Jonah that we're going to do. Thank you for your heart for Visalia. And I pray that we would get your heart for this city. Your heart of compassion, your heart of mercy for this city and that we would be obedient and responsive to your message and to your heart. I thank you for this time together. I pray that your uh, presence would be with us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvisalia.com. Until next time. There is a heavenly city that I'm compelled to find. Oh, I love the flowers and trees and the smell of the grinding sea. And all the beautiful things here in life I